Father, it's good that we should love each other. It's good that we could consider each other not only a creation of God, but everybody that's around us is a gift from God. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for the joy of watching people express that to one another. I thank you, Lord, that we are here in this church together. And I thank you for all of the people that so bless and so enrich our lives. May we never take them for granted because we don't know how long life is. Thank you, Lord, that we have this moment and we have this moment together now. And for those that are in our fellowship, some of them I'm sure are watching now who are sick. We just want them to know we miss them. We pray for their healing. We pray for strength. We pray for medicines to work. We pray for them to have joy and to be able to worship with us this morning. We pray for the hurting, grieving souls that they might find comfort and find it in you. And we pray, Father, for people that are confused and they've gone astray. We pray, Lord, that you would seek them as the shepherd does the lost sheep and bring them back and put them on the right path. Some of them need to be saved. Some of them need to get right with you. And we pray that you would take care of that, Father. We pray, Lord, that we would be the salt and the light that you want us to be in this wicked and dead society in which we live. Lord, we pray that we would have impact. And as we look into your word today, may we look and see how it is that we sometimes lose, but at the same time, how we can gain greater impact as a church body. And I pray that we would listen. I pray that we would not be dull of hearing. I pray that we would be hungry and have a spiritual appetite. And pray, Father, that we would be thinking about all of these things and actually apply them to our lives. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the things that he wrote. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring it and for preserving it so that we can use it and talk about it now. The inspired, inerrant, infallible, eternal, all-sufficient Word of God. Hallelujah for the Scriptures. And we pray this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I hope you are blessed and encouraged and have been a blessing and an encouragement to people today. And uh, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of First Thessalonians, of course. And uh, we are going to be looking in the uh, fifth chapter again. And we're going to talk about some verses that are very, very, very familiar to you and sometimes it's the familiar ones that trip us up it's the ones we already kind of know that keep us from really knowing them because we make an assumption about it and we want to uh, really really get it I've entitled the message kind of negative how to lose your impact on the next generation now let me tell you what's going on in my head you know the Sunday school lesson this morning a word to those of us who are the old people in the church and how we need to quit being the uh, dream killers, I guess, and motivation stealers from those who are younger. We expect them to do all the work and yet we want to criticize everything that they do and we've got to quit doing that. We've got to be praying for them and helping them and doing all of that that we can. 
And I want to talk about something else from a little different aspect today, and you'll see it in just a moment. But I start off, it was August 1st, it was about 12.30 at night. And during those times in the year 2020, almost three years ago, those were some dark days, riots in the streets of our major cities, and Portland was one of those where it was uh, the worst. And a group of protesters were wanting to start a fire. And they were going to use it, of course, for uh, lighting and uh, for uh, attracting attention and also to burn things that they didn't like. A lot of that that was going on back then. And uh, on the screen you'll see that they used a Bible as kindling. That's how they started the fire. Now I want to ask you a question. Does that bother you to see a Bible on fire like that? And the thought of burning a Bible? You would never, ever, ever do anything like that. And yet they did. And that bothers us and that gets our attention. But there's something that bothers me more than a burning Bible, as bad as that bothers me. And that is the fact that um, in the church today, the church at large, the church in general, it uh, tells us that when we can see a culture that would take a Bible instead of revering it, they would burn it, tells us something about our culture. But there's something else that tells us about our culture and our nation and even our own churches and Christianity. There's something worse, and that is abandoning the Bible. You may not burn it, but does it have dust on it? Has it ever been opened? Has it been opened in a long time? Do you relish it when you read it? Is it just a tradition that you read through the Bible in a year, but you really don't change your life? You really don't learn it? You really don't grow from it? Or have you come to the place to where you go, well, I'm not really sure about all of that. I'll just live life on my own and won't really worry about it much. I think it's the abandonment of the Scripture that is much worse than the burning of scripture we know the word we are the ones who say we believe the word we love the word we preach the word we proclaim the word we want people to live by the word and we uh, must not abandon the word of God as so many are doing at this particular time I also noticed something else in a study that I read about and it says, a study from the Southern Baptist Convention. Okay, that's, that's us. That's our denomination. Churches like us. A study from the Southern Baptist Convention indicates that we are currently losing, ready? 70 to 88% of our youth after their freshman year in college. So we as Oklahoma Baptists can uh, say, well, we've got the largest religious youth encampment in the world. But what good is that if we're losing them after their freshman year in college? What good does it do to say we have a program for every member in every age of the church and to pour money and time into it if we're losing 70 to 80 percent of them or almost 90 percent after their freshman year in college? To me, this ought to alarm us more than the burning of Bibles because this is our future. 
This is the one, the, these are the ones we've given birth to. These are the ones that we have taught. These are the ones that we have prayed for. These are the ones that we love. These are the ones that we want to do well. And one of the things that is also a problem is we look around as we get older and we say, well, that person better be glad they're not my kid. And uh, I, I can say honestly, there is some truth in that. There is some truth in that. And sometimes we say, well, it's a parent problem. Well, it could be. But I don't think it always is. Because I'm looking at some of you who your children are not where they need to be. Maybe they haven't abandoned everything, but you know they're not where they ought to be. I know they're not where they ought to be. And you've done well as a parent. You've taught them the Word of God. You've modeled it for them. You've prayed for them. You've uh, done a lot of the right things. And uh, I, I just say take heart because as long as they're breathing, there's still hope. And the other thing too is we need to uh, quit being sanctimonious and super spiritual if things are going well in our heart, in our lives, in our families because that's only by the grace of God. You don't deserve it. And it's not because of you. It's because of God. And then to think about the fact that God is the perfect father and yet he has a lot of rebellious children, doesn't he? Because I've been one of them and so have you. And so sometimes we need to get rid of the myth that if the parents would just do everything right, then the kids would turn out right. That, that doesn't work all the time. That doesn't even work in the family of God. I heard a preacher say one time, well, if husbands would be everything they're supposed to be, then the wives would have no problem submitting to him. Oh, really? Then why do we have so much trouble submitting to Jesus? Because he is the perfect bridegroom, and yet we don't submit to him. It's because we're sinners. It's because of depravity. You have it. Your children have it. Your precious little angels are depraved. And uh, we live in a depraved society. Think about Isaiah 6, when Isaiah confessed not only his sin, but the sin of his society, his culture. Because that's the way it's always been since the fall. In fact, I'll just say, as a guy who is 63 years old now, who has been in the ministry full-time since he was 20 years old, that means I've been doing this for 43 years in a variety of situations, a variety of churches, a variety of ministries. And I think I've seen, I don't know that I've seen it all, but I've seen a lot of it. And you know what I see a lot of times? I see parents that are doing such a good job with their kids, and then they bring them to church. And when they come to church, they don't see joyful, enthusiastic, committed happy, encouraging believers. They see a bunch of sad sacks. They see a bunch of sour pusses. They see a bunch of people who complain and who gripe. They see people who are much more enthusiastic about the upcoming football season than they are the upcoming Bible study. They see people that can't wait to get out of here and go do whatever they want to do who don't really love to worship the Lord. And it kind of makes me wonder, if you don't enjoy worshiping the Lord down here, you're going to hate heaven if, if you make it. You know? 
And then we wonder why they walk away from the faith. And I think it is not just because of parents. I think it's sometimes because of churches who don't show the joy of the Lord and who don't live what they say they believe. And we sing and say amen to certain things that we don't really apply in our lives. I was listening to a podcast about John MacArthur and his wife was almost killed in a tragic car accident uh, a while back. And uh, their daughter, Melinda, uh, and this is John speaking in his own words and his own voice on this podcast, was so distraught about all of this and he was too, but she was kind of going to pieces and he finally took her, and maybe it was her telling this story, and he took her and put his face in his hands and said, Is God sovereign? And she, through her tears, said, Yes. And he goes, Then act like it. And she said, And that's all it took. You know, I thought about that. And I thought about how easy it is for us to proclaim the sovereignty of God and then fall to pieces when things don't go our way. There's something that doesn't match up about all of that. And maybe the reason that our young people are abandoning the faith, maybe it's not them so much as it is us. What are we modeling for them? What are we teaching them? What are we showing them? Is it always negative? Are we always against something? Are we the angry, fighting fundamentalist? Where is the joy of the Lord? Well, Paul talks about it to the Thessalonian believers. And as he talks to the church, as he's wrapping up and winding up this letter, he seems to be answering a question that comes to my mind. How is it that we can be saved and so ineffective? How is it that we have God living in us and we have so little power? How is it that we are not effective in what we do? And it might be because... What's coming out of our mouths doesn't match up with the way that we live and the way that we think and the way that we feel and the way that we behave on things. Now, to be honest, hasn't that always been the problem? Getting those two things together. And the only way we're going to do that is to surrender everything to the Lord. So our text is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 22. And look at this, just this, this package of things that... Paul puts together that uh, if we don't do these things, then we might as well burn our Bibles. Right? I mean, that would disturb you. You would never do that. But what good is a Bible that you don't obey? Let that sink in. So he says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How are you doing on those things? And how are you doing with the always, with the without ceasing, and the in everything? Look at verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. You doing that? Hold fast to that which is good. It doesn't do any good to test everything if you don't hold on to what is good. And abstain from every form of evil okay we could give an invitation right now couldn't we 
And the very best among us would have to be at the altar if we are being honest. Because this is something that is humanly impossible. Humanly impossible for us to do. But it is spiritually possible because God doesn't command anything that He doesn't give us the power to do. So how are you doing? And if you say, well, I'm not doing so well on that, then the easy answer is it's because you're not living in the power of God. You're living in the power of flesh. That's sinful. And so we have to look at this thing and we have to look at it and we have to look at it honestly. And this is, uh, I'm going to approach this from the negative side of things. This is how we lose our impact. We can sing all of the songs. We could even sing the old songs. And we could sing the old songs from an old hymnal just like we used to and lose just as many of our teenagers if we don't live what we believe. And the secret to revivals and great ministries in the past is people believed it, they embraced it, and they lived it. They incorporated it into their lives. We just want something that's just going to be a quick fix, make me feel better, fix my family, and then I'll leave and I'll go and do what I really want to do. And we're not really sold out to the Lord or to His glory. So let's think about these things. I'm going to ask you some questions, okay? Are we living by fickle emotions? Are we living by fickle emotions, by feelings, we might say? Because if that's the case, we are going to lose our young people because you have differing emotions, and sometimes you can get angry. Sometimes you can say things you wish you could take back. Sometimes you can cut somebody to the core. Sometimes you can discourage somebody to the nth degree, and then you go, well, I shouldn't have said that. Well, you're right. You shouldn't have said it, but it's too late to take it back. You've already sent that email. You've already sent that message. You've already posted that tweet. Everybody has seen it, and it happens in everyday conversation, not just on social media. So are we living by fickle emotions? So where would I get that? Well, it's the idea of we don't rejoice until our emotions tell us to rejoice. Well, the Bible doesn't give us that option. It says rejoice always. Whether you feel like it or not. Whether your circumstances are good or not. Whether people are treating you right or not. That means you've got to quit posting some of the things you post on Facebook. Because everything you post is selfish. It's a downer. It depresses other people. It makes you look like your life is, is just garbage. And yet, at the same time, you come to church and sing about the goodness of God. Something ain't matching up. Sometimes we look at life and we say, oh, well, what can we do? We're kind of like the Apostle Philip. Whenever Jesus said, how are we going to feed these 5,000 men plus women and children? And Philip goes, well, we've got a little boy here. He's got a lunch. But, well, what is so much among so little? Do you realize some of you are just like that? If we were to get together and say, we as a church should carry out the Great Commission, how can we reach the ends of the earth? And you'd go, well, you can't do it with this group. You can't do it with our money. You can't do it. We don't have any people of influence or stature. How are we going to do that? We don't have the networks to get us to those places. And so we make excuses for not doing the will of God Because we think it all depends upon us. You know what it ought to make us do? 
where we get together and we say, how do we get the gospel out to the ends of the earth? I don't know. And then all of us get on our knees in front of our chair and we start begging God to open a door and to make a way. But who's going to do that? Because in our church, as it is in other churches, when you announce a prayer meeting, you just killed your crowd. And yet we say we are believers. What is wrong with us? We're hypocrites. Oh, I didn't hear any amens on that one. We're hypocritical, aren't we? And we wonder why our kids go, huh, that's interesting, but it's not real, and they walk away from it. Granted, there's got to be the sovereignty of God, there's got to be grace and all of that, but we're commanded in the Scripture to do these things. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And in everything give thanks. How grateful are you? You know, I uh, read a part of a book, and the premise of the book was, the higher our comfort level goes, the higher our level of discontent goes. See, we walk outside now and we go, oh, good night. It is just so freezing cold. This is just ridiculous. Having come out of our heated home with warm clothes, getting into a car that the air is sealed off, you're not out in the open, and you have a heater, and you're going to park, and within 30 seconds you're going to be inside of a heated building. Boy, that's a hard life, isn't it? And your ancestors wouldn't think twice about it because they didn't expect to ever be comfortable. It was always too hot or always too cold. There was always not enough in life. It was hard. They had to work and sweat and toil. And with us, we think, oh, oh, well, I'm sitting here watching TV and, uh, oh, turn that thermostat down. Good night. It's, it's 71. Turn it down to 68. It's too hot in here. Think about all that. Our discontent rises with the level of our comfort. And with that, we have become a most ungrateful generation. Oh, we can complain. We're world-class complainers. But we're not very good at rejoicing. We're not very interested in praying. And we are not very grateful. And so we look at all of that, we wonder, why aren't our kids impressed with our spirituality? Well, take a look at it. You wouldn't be either. Take a look at it. If that were any other situation or organization, and they came to your door like most church members are, like you are sometimes, how impressed or interested would you be just on a human level? And so our problem is we are living by fickle emotions. We say, I'll rejoice when I feel like it. I'll pray when I see the need. And I'll give thanks when there's something really good that happens in my life. Boy, how we are missing the whole point of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. His love and His mercy, His sovereignty, all of those kind of things. So we say He's sovereign, but we don't. Act like it. The fruit of the Spirit, which is joy, is not really seen in our lives. We don't confidently and constantly pray. We don't expect anything when we do. And we're not grateful for what God has really done. How are we going to counteract that? 
I would say by a Romans 8 lifestyle. Okay, I'm going to read a lot of scripture here. I hope that doesn't offend you or bore you or cause you to shut anything off. But you need to hear the word of God. And this is what God has to say about us in our life. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Let that sink in. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of Uh, corruption into glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting For the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for that for which we do not see, we eagerly wait with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should Pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called, and whom He called, these He also justified, and whom He justified, these He also glorified. So what then shall we say to these things? It's a good thing to think about. Going to gripe? Going to complain? Oh, yawn. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Paul answers, If God is for us, who can be against us? Can I ask you a question? Do your children see Romans 8 in your life? Do your children see 1 Thessalonians 5 in your life? Well, I don't have children, so therefore I can be sour, negative, and gripey, and ungrateful all I want. No, you can't. Because all of the children in this church are not only their parents' children, they're the church's children as well. 
And all of us have a responsibility not to stumble one of these little ones. Remember what Jesus said about that? And I wonder if these people that are leaving the church and the faith after their freshman year in college, I wonder if they're being stumbled into all of that. And if that is the case, who is God going to be more severe with? Well, it would be with us, wouldn't it? And so I think about that, and I think about how far short I fall of living up to just those three things. Rejoicing always, fail. Praying without ceasing, major failure. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. And I have to conclude that every time I do not do those things, I have strayed from the will of God. So whenever you say, well, I just need to know the will of God. You know three of them. If you're not going to do that, why should he reveal anything else to you? Right? And so we've got to look at this and we've got to take it serious that maybe we've met the problem and the problem is us. We face it in the mirror. I heard Dave Ramsey say one time, if I could get the guy I shave with every morning to behave, I would have plenty of money and I'd be skinny at the same time. Isn't that the truth? It's our problem. We shoot ourselves in the foot. Number two, are we living as mere men? Mere men. He says, do not quench the Spirit. Now, when you were saved, the Spirit of God came to live inside of you and made you spiritually alive. You have a new power. God Himself is living inside of you. And yet we live like all of the lost people. Say, oh, no Christian could do that. Well, the Corinthians did. 1 Corinthians 3, 3, Paul says, For you are still carnal or fleshly. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you are you not carnal, listen to this, and behaving like mere men, like regular, ordinary people. New American Standard translates it like that and says, Are you not fleshly and are you not walking like ordinary people? You know, Jesus told us in John six sixty three, He said, It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh Prophets, nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Okay, so then why are we so impressed with all of the celebrities, all of the politics, all of the philosophies of the world? They are flesh and they are dead. And everything we do that is empowered by the flesh is nothing and it is dead. It profits nothing, Jesus said. Paul even said in Romans seven eighteen, For I know that in me that is in my flesh... Nothing good dwells. And so there's the tragedy. Paul said, the Corinthian believers, read the first chapter, they were saved people. He said, but you're living like people who are dead. You're living like people who are powerless. You're living like people that are rebellious against God. You're living like people that are not all there. They have a body and a soul, but you have body, soul, and spirit indwelt by the Spirit of God. Why are you not different? Why are you not overcoming? Why are you not living a life in contradistinction to this world? But no, the problem is you're living like mere men, and that's why the church 
was in the shape that it was in. Okay? So it wasn't Paul saying, you parents need to get on it. He was saying, it's a church thing. I think we lose young people not just because of parents, but because of what they see when they're around the rest of us in church. Because sometimes, I'm convinced, we even worship like mere men, dead men, devoid of the Spirit of God. Number three. Are we living in pride and being unteachable? Do not despise the prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Now, we have to uh, figure out what he means there because all of us go, I don't despise the word of God. Well, maybe if you understood the Greek word and the way Paul meant, the way Paul wrote it and what Paul meant when he said despise. See, we look at things and we think, I despise that. And it means we really, really hate it. That's not what the word Paul used uh, actually meant. The word despise means, uh, well, we could say this, having no hunger. If you despise the prophecies, it means you have no interest, no hunger in them, and you're apathetic about whatever they say. In fact, uh, Thayer's lexicon translates that word to make of no account. To make of no account. So apparently there were some in the Thessalonian church that they didn't really care what God said. They didn't really care what the preacher said. They didn't really care what the teacher said. They didn't really care what the word of God had to say. They just, oh, oh, let it run off my back like water off a duck's back. Huh? When is it going to be over? Huh? That doesn't apply to the modern world. You know, not my problem. And so they were unteachable. They were people who were prideful. We already know that, already heard that, already read that. I heard a better preacher talk about that. Oh, my last Sunday school teacher talked about that. (gasps) Why do we have to go over the same old things all of the time? Okay, that's what he's talking about. No hunger, no interest, no application, no change, no anticipation, nothing like that at all. Just get us out of here before noon and let us go do our thing, right? And Paul said that's not what you're supposed to do. Because when it talks about the prophecies, whenever you think about the Old Testament prophets, it's not so much that they told the future. That's not the big deal. Because God is everywhere, even in the future, right? He's timeless. The key was each one of those prophets gave the word of God. They were proclaiming the word of God. And Paul is most likely emphasizing the fact here that the Word of God is something that we don't really hunger for. Whether we're reading it privately, and if we do, oh, we read our Bible in a year, we didn't get anything out of it. We read our Bible in a year, it didn't change our life. But we read our Bible in a year, look how many times I've read the Bible in a year, and I'm still struggling with the same old things. What's the matter with us? Paul is saying because you despise the prophecies. It's not that you hate them. Just don't care. The Bible can say something that hits you right between the eyes, but you just don't care. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. I'm going to do, as Jimmy Stewart said, and it's a wonderful life. I want to do what I want to do. Right? And that's the way we live. And then we say, now God, I expect you to bless me, but, eh, you know, whatever you say, you listen to me, and you answer what I say, but... 
I'm not going to pay that much attention to what you say. Boy, something's way, way wrong and out of order. I think that may be why we're losing our young people because they're walking away going, well, you don't believe it either. At least you don't apply it. I was uh, with Papa Sam one time and a man came over to his house and he had been doing some work for uh, uh, them. And Papa Sam said, did you go to church yesterday? Yeah, I sure did. What church did you go to? And he named a local Baptist church here. And he said, oh, great, great. Was it a good service? And he goes, oh, yeah, it was a really good service. And he goes, uh, what'd your pastor preach on? Um, um, oh, shoot, what was that? Uh, uh, boy, he told the funniest story, though. That's why I don't tell very many funny stories or jokes. That's not the point. The point is for you to know the Word of God. To understand it. And you've given me the blessing of being able to study it. And to be ready to present it. That hopefully there are things that might take you five years to learn. You can learn them now in 30 minutes. It's a blessing. I appreciate it. But we got to take it seriously. And then sometimes we say, well, I don't know much about them, but I, I do know, boy, they, uh, they preach the word. And some of them are like uh, Bill Gothard. Some of you who are older remember him. And I heard somebody talking about him the other day. They said that he would say, man does not live by bread alone. And then preach for 40 minutes about how we need more fiber in our diets. That's not what that means. That is... Twisting and perverting the word of God. And there are a lot of churches that will use a verse or a phrase out of the Bible to say what they want to say and talk about things that don't even pertain to that. And then people go, well, boy, they talked about Jesus and they mentioned the Bible and they had a little gospel in it. Did they? Did they? And is that what we're really hungry for? And is that what we really want and we really demand or are we just in it for the entertainment for the stories and for the practical aspects of it a man was looking out his window one time and he looked over to a flower garden and he noticed there was a butterfly and you know how you are when you're working on something it's easy to get distracted even by a butterfly and the butterfly just went from lovely blossom to lovely blossom to lovely blossom to lovely blossom and then flew away Ah, that's funny. And he uh, went back to his work. Then he noticed something. There was a botanist out there. And the botanist in his funny hat and his uh, uniform that they would wear had a big magnifying glass and a notebook and a pen. And he's looking at each blossom through the magnifying glass. And he put it down and just taking copious notes. Just writing everything, page after page, and examining each of the plants. And then he walked off. And the guy thought, oh, that was interesting. Then the next time he looked up, he saw a honeybee. And the honeybee went to the different blossoms, went down deep into the blossoms, and took the nectar out that he might fly away and make honey and feed the other bees in the hive. And that man began to think that's the way a lot of people are about the Word of God. Some are just butterflies flitting from lovely sermon to lovely sermon and lovely passage to lovely passage. They don't touch Leviticus, in other words. But they get a bunch of the other ones. 
flitting from lovely thing to lovely thing. It's all a bumper sticker. It's all a meme. Then he said others are like the botanist. It's all academic. Notes, notes, notes. Got it all down. Oh, I got it all down. Notes, notes. And it's all just academic. They close it, walk away and go about their life. But praise God, there are some people like the honeybee who delve in deep and drink of the sweetness of the Word of God and then they carry it away to do something with it and it impacts their life, it impacts their work, it impacts their school, it impacts their neighborhood and it impacts their families and most of all, it impacts them because their life has changed. So I don't want to ask you today, what are you? You're the butterfly? Church to church to church to sermon to sermon to book to book, devotional to devotional, just lovely, lovely, lovely. Oh, it's just lovely. Or are you the botanist? It's all academic. It's all intellectual. Or are you the bee? Where you go deep, it is sweet, and it means something. Which brings us up to the last thing. Are we living a double life, or do we just not care about our influence. Now I put both of those in there. Because it says abstain from every appearance of evil. And there are some people who go. I don't care if it's evil or not. I don't care what anybody thinks about me or not. I don't care whether it besmirches the testimony of Christ or not. I just don't care. I'm living my life. And there are people in church who want to do the Billy Joel thing. And say go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone. Sorry you don't get that luxury. But then there are other people who uh, instead of not caring, they care, but not enough to get rid of their sin. They just live a double life. They don't want their children to know they're having an affair, so they find a way to hide it. It's a double life, and it's going to hurt their kids one day. They don't want people to know they don't love Jesus, so they act like they love Jesus until nobody's looking, and then they live like everybody else. You see what I mean? Some people care enough to hide it, and some people just don't care at all. And Paul said, abstain from all appearance of evil. R.C. Sproul said, those who are forgiven should gladly put aside their sinful ways and walk in newness of life. Amen to that. So, I want you to think about some things as we conclude. This is for all of us. Take this in. Do we act like God is sovereign, which He is, by the way that we rejoice, pray, and give thanks, whether you feel like it or not? Because if He's in control, and He is good as we know that He is, then it means every storm we go through, we ought to be shouting hallelujah, giving praise, and depending on Him through prayer. Do you do that? Do you seek to live a life that is controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit? Do you ever think about that? The Bible says it's the will of God that we be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 There's another place where you're either in it or you're out of it. Are you controlled by the Holy Spirit. How about this? Are you teachable? Are you haphazard about the Bible? Or teaching? Or preaching? 
or your own quiet time? Do you talk about what was taught and preached and test it and then embrace the good? We enjoy whenever Jenny and Isaac and their kids come over to talk about around the table. What would you learn in children's church? What would you learn in Sunday school? What, and we all talk about those kind of things. You know what that does? It reinforces, number one, that it's a good thing. Secondly, it gives us a chance that if they misunderstand something, we could have a chance to correct it. Prove all things. Hold fast to what is good. Embrace the good. And then... Keep your testimony clean before God and be diligent to honor Him in all of this because to fail to do these things, I'm going to submit to you, is worse than burning a Bible because we know better. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to close with a word of prayer. What do you need to pray about? In light of this text of Scripture. What do you need to pray about? In light of this text of Scripture. And I invite you to do it. Take it before the Lord. Do others see Jesus in you? And even if you don't have kids who are straying. Are you being the example that if they were to see you, they would say, I want to be like them. They're genuine. They're real. They're authentic in their walk with God. Let's help each other. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just sing this with me as our closing. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior. All to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. And it really is just that simple. Surrendered to the Lord so that He lives through us for His glory. Amen.